because that's really what typifies the grandiose narcissist. They, they are very confident and they present themselves as um, excellent and superb at their work when they actually aren't. You should never hire a senior manager without a psychological evaluation. Hi, everybody. I'm Katina McHenry. Welcome to another episode of Fuck Fear. I am so glad that you are with us today. Joining me today is a wonderful person who has tons of knowledge and has been a previous guest, Dr. Christy Losher at the University of Texas at Austin, where she is a senior lecturer in the management department at the McComb School of Business. She teaches undergraduate and MBA level classes in management, organizational change, human resources, and healthcare systems. And today we are talking about the narcissist in the workplace and fear of the narcissist in the workplace. Welcome, Christy. It's great to see you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Katenya. Well, we all know a narcissist. I was married to one. I wrote oh, a book about I'm so it. Sorry. <laughs> oh God. Thank you. A ten year, a little over ten years divorced, but that doesn't mean that he isn't still trying to remain relevant in my life. Ugh. A lot of them are in the workplace. I think many of us have worked with them and maybe not known what the personality type was and, and haven't been able to really decipher and understand the behavior. So we're gonna talk about all that today. So let's start with just recognizing the narcissist in the workplace. What are they like? I think a lot of them are in academia <laughs> because oh, of yeah. what academia well, gives them and how it feeds their personality. Yeah. Yeah, so there are two types of narcissists, right? The most, the one that I think is most recognized and most talked about is what, what I've heard referred to as the grandiose narcissist. So um, while males and females can be grandiose narcissists, you tend to find more males in, in this particular group. And Why it's, is that, Christy? Um, I think it's because of our culture. Mm -hmm. and just the patriarchal nature of our culture and our acceptance mm -hmm. of high confidence in men without support. Sure. Because that's really what typifies the grandiose narcissist. They, they are very confident mm -hmm. and they present themselves as um, excellent and superb at their work when they actually aren't. Yeah. But because they, it's, you've heard that, that, term fake it till you make it you know oh, if yeah. you're trying to be more confident you should act more confident because mm -hmm. people will then treat you that way sure. that's exactly what happens yeah. is that these people walk around with a huge amount of confidence an inflated sense of entitlement that in men in our society mm -hmm. tends to get rewarded tends yep. to work right yep. it tends to work for them mm -hmm. um, these people are also often entertaining they can be very charismatic and and attract people like when I say attract meaning like a magnet, you know, right. attract people because of that. Right. And then they are very good at at basically using the people around them to boost their own um, cachet in an organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they have an excessive need for ad admiration. They need to be the center of attention. Always. So they tend to surround themselves with more um, quiet, diligent people, often women. Mm hmm. Right. Who um, they then um, bully and uh, criticize and undermine to keep them weak. Right. But to keep using their ability to boost their own standing. Right. Um, it and is a very toxic. Yeah. Um, it is a very toxic personality type for the workplace, especially in today's workplace that is so team oriented. Right. Because as coworkers, these grandiose narcissists will put themselves as the leader of a team. I'm putting air quotes around leader. Yeah. They'll put themselves out as the leader of the team responsible for all the successes. And if the team is not successful, they're very quick to blame other individuals oh on the gosh. team. Yes. Yes. And um, this idea of they of complete lack of empathy, right? So right. they do not care about others' feelings they use emotions, right? Mm -hmm. They, right. they are very good at using emotions to make themselves look good, to keep things focused on themselves and others. One of the scariest things about the grandiose narcissist is that they cannot tolerate criticism. 
Right. And so if you feel a narcissist, either a peer or a boss is taking credit for your work Mm -hmm. and you go in to confront them, you are likely to get a rage response. Oh yeah. That for most of us is so above and beyond what you would see in a workplace. It's terrifying. Right. And, and most people will back down and try to appease. Right. Which is exactly what the narcissist wants. Right. And they also and, feel like that, like if you confront them about something, it, it is an attack in some way. And they feel mm-hmm. like they need to retaliate because either you've told them something that they didn't like, or you, or they feel like you're telling them what the, what to do, which they also don't like. Exactly. And so they turn that around and, 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 and retaliate. Yeah. And they have a real need to be in control. Yes. And what you have to remember, if you are dealing with one of these people is all they care about is themselves Mm -hmm. and, and their goals. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about tips for dealing with, with these narcissists once I, once I finish describing them. But um, the big thing you have to always remember that this person does not care about you. Right. They only care about themselves. They don't even care about the company. They only care about themselves. Right. And that's something you always have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they're not just in academia, right? They're, oh, they're gosh, in every, no. every, every industry, industry, that, industry. Every across, uh, across the globe. Yeah. And um, again, I think in, in organizations that are, and, and I've not read research on this. This is my hypothesis mm-hmm. that organizations that are outcome focused, So what they care about is what are your sales? What are your numbers? The narcissist flourishes in that environment because they are experts at positioning themselves to take credit for success and to deflect blame. Mm. They will not be as successful in process-oriented workplaces because they lack follow-through. They actually don't have the skills they present themselves to have. So if you're one of the ways as an organization to avoid attracting or supporting narcissists is to be look at process, uh, process driven metrics for your personnel, right? So it's not, it's as important how you get to your numbers as if you get to your numbers. Right. That's, that's when I'm talking about process. I mean, how did you get there? Right. Um, looking at metrics that measure not just customer satisfaction, but repeat customers or Mm. customer loyalty, you know, that really looks at the process. Yeah. Give an example of of some companies that would fall under that category of process oriented. Um, I have found that, you know, my corporate background was in healthcare Mm -hmm. and I found that there wasn't as much narcissistic type behavior in healthcare because it, again, it's very process oriented and Mm -hmm. there's lots of process metrics. So although there, I did run across some physicians who were narcissists, it is much harder to be a pure grandiose narcissist, right? In a healthcare organization, because you have to perform, you have to, um, you are expected to get things done. And there's a lot of process metrics that follow you around to make sure you've gotten it done and you've done it safely. Mm -hmm. So help because healthcare, and I would say oftentimes, um, any kind of high-tech manufacturing would be like this as well. Any place where there's lots of focus on how you're getting a job done mm-hmm. will, will not work with, will not um, attract or retain narcissists. Sure. Right? Sure. So there's a second type though that I want to talk about real quick yeah. because again, if, you, if a woman is a narcissist, you will tend to see her as this type called a vulnerable narcissist. Mm-hmm. This, uh, I love this description uh, that came from uh, Terrence Brake, uh, who did an ebook on, on narcissist. And Terrence calls the vulnerable narcissist a martyr with a megaphone. Huh, wow. And that fits so perfectly because they are always victims. And they are always trying to present present themselves as the underdog and um, the person who is really trying to do it right, despite all the barriers around them and all the people trying to stop them. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Again, need for constant reinforcement, need to be the center of attention. Uh, they also, like the grandiose narcissist, tend tend to, as opposed to excessive confidence, they tend to demonstrate unrealistic views of their contributions, which is a little different, right? They tend to um, say, well, I've done all this work and, and minimize what other people have done. Uh-huh. So it's not as in your face, aggressive confidence that these people show. They're much more passive aggressive. Sure. And they tend to, again, keep credit, spread blame. They tend to be very suspicious of other people's motives because they know what theirs are. Right. So they don't, they aren't trusting people. Uh They tend to project a very cynical view of the world. Again, this whole victim thing. Mm -hmm. But if they're criticized, you're going to see the same rage. Right. But as opposed to the in your face aggressiveness in response to criticism that you'll see from the grandiose narcissist, and they will lie and eat and bully. The vulnerable narcissist will play the victim mm-hmm. and will gossip. They, the, one of the biggest tools that the vulnerable narcissist has is talking bad about you behind your back mm. and controlling other people de- um, and de- deflating other people's views of people that they feel are in their way mm-hmm. or not supporting them or criticizing them. Mm-hmm. They will talk them down and they will talk them down all over the place. Yeah. And they spend a lot of time and effort on this. Yeah. Everybody knows somebody like that in the office. You know it. <laughs> it's that one person. You know yeah. And again, you know, can a guy be a vulnerable narcissist? Of course, but uh, you sure. do tend to see more women in this particular uh, manifestation of narcissism. Sure. And um, a lot of hostile joking, you know, people that teasing, joking, that is hurtful, but hides itself as teasing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just joking. Right. That's one of the hallmarks of the vulnerable narcissist. It's right. one of the ways that she controls you. Right. Especially is, when you show resistance to that kind of behavior. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, it, and if you and, have a problem with that kind of behavior, then oh, they yeah. say, oh, I was just joking. Exactly. It's you who's taking it wrong. Right. Exactly. It's, you, it's always you who who didn't take it the way it was meant. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they control you because they will criticize other people to you. And then you'll change your behavior to avoid being criticized in the same sure. way. Right. Uh, one, one time a vulnerable narcissist said to me was really criticizing a woman who came to work with her hair wet. You know, her hair wasn't, wasn't blow dried out. Uh-huh. And she just talked about how um, unprofessional that was and how could that person and uh, this was a person who actually was um, positioning her in the department to, to take over some work that the vulnerable narcissist was doing. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the ways she was, she was talking her down. But before I really was aware of this person's personality defect, I found myself making very sure that I never went to work with wet hair because I didn't want to be wow. criticized like that. Right. So that's one of the subtle ways that the vulnerable narcissist really influences the people around them. Right. And um, it's what's also very interesting. And you can see this with the grandiose narcissist too. You can see them have favorites, but you're never the favorite for long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, right. you know, you're the golden child and, and, you know, they'll support you and it'll look like they're your, your best mentor and supporter until you stand up to them right. or until you cross them or until you're doing my threaten their position. And then they will drop you and talk smack about you as if you were yep. never, and you really have to understand about both these types. They cannot be your friend. Right. You, right. you, the biggest mistake you can make is thinking these people are your friends, right? It's not because possible they are for them. not, it is right. not possible for them. Right. Right. They are not your friends. Right. Right. They are only going to help you when it's in their own best interest. Right. Right. And I think that's the thing that's really hard for us because at work, most of our friends are at work, right? right? For most of us. Right. Right. And you know, especially now, I mean, when my daughter was young, I had friends through my daughter's, you know, parents and my daughter's friends and things like that. But once your kids are grown, or if you don't have kids, 
most of your friends are at work. Right. And you have to be very careful how you choose them and how you share. Right. Uh, now, why are these people successful? I've talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that when you're confident, people believe you. Right. And that in, in outcome-oriented organizations, these people are going to be more successful. Um, and also in organizations that tolerate gossip and teasing. Right. And when uh, early in my career, I was working for a hospital and in a, I was a planning and marketing analyst. And there was a real effort to um, stop gossip and stop teasing. Mm -hmm. And there we had a little, we had a seminar on it and we talked uh, about it a lot and really tried to change our behavior. It was uh, all women, you know, in these, in the planning department, marketing department. And then there was one other department that was in our little building and uh, it was all women. We didn't have a single guy except the boss, of course. Yeah. And, um, and there was a lot of gossip, a lot of hostile teasing, a lot of this stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And after that seminar, and when we decided to change behavior, it was so interesting to see who couldn't change. Hmm. And those people didn't last. And yeah. I was, you know, now looking back on it, that was such high level, excellent employee dynamic management, especially recognizing that the harmful um, effects of gossip and this hostile joking, teasing stuff. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a manager, I found that I did have a narcissist employee and this was one of the tools. This person had, had been there for 20 years or something. This person had been there for a long time Yeah. and controlled people so that she didn't have to do as much work. And it, she really had this whole thing. When I took over that department and realized what was going on, I remembered this other hospital that had helped you know, by decreasing teasing, decreasing gossip. And so we did, we did, we had the same talk. And, um, and I said, we, we will not gossip. You will not talk about somebody if they aren't right there. Right. And I ended up being able to fire the narcissist because she could not stop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, companies do sensitivity training. Um, you know, you have to take all these courses about how to deal with conflict sometimes in the in the workplace, but it's rarely addressed how to deal with somebody of that personality because it, it could be really it could be psychological, it could be um, very um, or obviously abusive, but it really affects somebody's not only their productivity, but it could also affect their health as well. Oh, yes. um, if they if if they if they are in an, a con an environment where there's constant toxicity, especially yes. coming from the level of management. And as a and as a manager, you have to realize these people cannot change. Mm -hmm. So you have the rules and the again, the oversight of the process to be able to remove them. Mm -hmm. And if you're working for a narcissist, if your boss is a narcissist, they will not change. Right. So right. you need to. Right. You need, and I'm going to go over some ways to cope, but if your boss is a narcissist, my number one message today is leave. Yeah. You know, try first to stay with the organization, move laterally, move out from under the person's influence, you know, try that, but don't think this will get better. Right. Or that if you just change how you react to this person, it'll get better. Right. These, this is a personality defect that will not change ever. Right. And it's not, it's not just that will not change. They cannot, they don't have the ability to change. No. no. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, the, the, most of the ones I've worked with have been over 30, you know, so they've been doing this stuff for a long time and they've been mm -hmm. reinforced for it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and people do not change, Yeah. you know, central responses to behaviors right. that have worked for them for 30 right. plus years. Right. Of course. Right. That's the key that's worked yeah. for them and they've been yeah. enabled. Yeah. 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 You just so have to make to that the... behavior stop working for them. Right. Right. And you know, if they're the boss, that means you have to take your time and talent elsewhere. Right. So, so that leads to why they get promoted. We see a lot of narcissists um, at the management level yeah. and at the senior level or the, you know, the, the C-suite level. Yep. Why does that happen? <laughs> In fact, a very interesting study 
this was more focused on um, psychopathology, you know, people who are really um, pathological, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, psychopaths, right? Or yes. sociopaths. Or in and, a combination of which that. is which is kind of the the next step on you know farther out on the on the spectrum from narcissism, but um, there was a study done specifically about psychopathy and sociopathy with CEOs, and that um, about one percent of the population general population has sociopathy or psychopathy. Gosh, something like it was in the double digits for CEOs. Wow, really? Yeah, from 1% of the population. And it was like, if I remember correctly, it was 12% of CEOs in this study tested as sociopaths or psychopaths. That's scary. It is. And you have to understand that number one, the way our culture is set up, these behaviors work. Right. And right. they create a lot of damage and it's bad for the company. It's bad for the people in the company, but- if you are only looking at the surface, these people look successful, right? It's only when you dig deeper and look at what they actually do that you realize this, these people aren't all that. Right, right. But that confidence right. and that ability to frame their own, you know, their political ability to frame their own contributions and discount other people's contributions and shift blame, all those things make them look like the better employee. Right. If you're on, if you aren't digging deeper. Right. Right. And um, so it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Organizations have to be very um, focused on, in my mind, um, all senior management should be psychologically tested. Right. All of yeah. them. Right. You should never hire a senior manager without a psychological evaluation. Oh my gosh. That, because it's just too common. I mean, looking at that 1% to 12%, that's just right. too big a difference yes. of something that's going, could very well tank a company. You know, look right. at Enron. Yeah, you know? right. You know, right. Enron, you know, had a flaming sociopathic narcissist yeah. as the CEO. Yeah. And it not only took down Enron, it took down, uh, Arthur Anderson, it took right. down the electric company in California. You know, there was so much damage. Right. Tens of thousands of people lost their jobs. Yeah. And their retirement. Right. And, you know, which is huge amounts oh, of damage. One person. One yeah. person. That collapse was legendary. You know, what's incredible to me is, is dealing, not just dealing with the narcissist, but the incredible aftermath that one person the damage that one person does to the people they work with immediately, um, their dotted line, and then just the ricochet effect of one person. Oh, it, yeah. That is what is just astonishing and mind-boggling. And to the people to above, right. the, they're very good at masking, mm, right? right? So to right. the people above, unless the people above are talking to, you know, and this is something I tried to get my vice president to do when I was in corporate healthcare, and I never was successful. But I said, I told him, I said, you should be talking to the people who report to me. That's you right. should be talking to the people who report to my managers. Um, that's the way we keep this place healthy. Right. Is that all my managers know that you could go down and talk to any individual employee. Right. And if they know you'll never do that, that's, that's giving them a control that right. is dangerous. Right. And in a way, it's like it's, it's enabling them. It's a like yeah. reverse enabling, because yeah. if they know that you're not going to question anything about mm-hmm. them and if they can scare you into not doing it, then then that is continuing to in- enable the behavior and enable oh, yeah. the abuse. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So um, the other point I want to make before I kind of go into some tips is that. I have, and you might have experienced this too. I certainly experienced it to be kind of like the frog in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in cool water and then warm it up, they'll stay in there till they boil. Yeah. That's the way a, nar- a narcissist doesn't come in your face right away. It, they, they are very good at grooming, especially the vulnerable narcissist right. is very good at grooming people and sucking you in. And then it's not until 
you either see one of these rage episodes, that's usually that for me is what woke me up. Yeah. Is, is this rage in response to pretty mild criticism. Right. And, well, and, and sometimes uh, things that are not even categorized as criticism, it's just, it, it could be constructive or mm-hmm. it, it could be just something you've said that you've noticed and not necessarily a direct criticism. And mm-hmm. they take offense to that, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And then it just blows up from there. Yeah. And that was my big aha was when I saw this. And then once I really stepped back, and, and said, okay, what do I know about this kind of over-the-top rage? What mm-hmm. causes it? And I started looking at what I'm talking about today. Here's what the narcissist is. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's, it's always hit me by surprise when it's been a colleague. Um, yeah. It's a little easier for, it, it has in my experience been easier for me to spot it in a subordinate. Um, but a direct subordinate. Um, but uh, I find with a peer, it can be difficult. And then with a boss, it can be really hard because with a boss, I've only had a narcissistic boss once and I lasted six months. I mean, I was out of there mm-hmm. after six months, but um, I, that was because I was young and had lots of options, right? Yeah. So I didn't <laughs> right. have to put up with the BS. Well, you and, probably weren't as, do you think fear or the lack thereof played a part of it where you weren't afraid to move on oh, yeah. or find something new. Oh yeah. I was like, you know, it, I tried to get out from under the person. And when that didn't work, I was like, I, I had my resume out and I had a new job. Yeah. So it, it just wasn't, and that's the problem, right? Because people who see through the narcissist and don't want to work with them, you don't have long as a company to save them. Right. Because they're the, the, the ones who, who are your most talented people who have the most options are going to be out of there. Right. And, uh, and not look back. Right. Right. It's, that can be, it's one of the reasons why organizations should really be looking at any department that has an unusual amount of turnover. Mm-hmm. They should a, be looking at the boss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a real tell, especially if you lose a talented recruit. Right. And they say, well, this just wasn't a good fit because typically, I mean, I certainly in my exit interview, if I, I don't even think I had an exit interview. They never even did an exit interview on me. I just said this wasn't a good fit. I got a better job that's more money and it's, you know, a better location. I did yeah. not say my boss is a narcissist and I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was no reason for me to put myself out there like that. Right. So your talent isn't going to tell you that you've got of to course. figure it out. Right. 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 Talk but, about uh, real quick, how, how does fear play into how the narcissist controls the environment and, oh, yeah. and, and, and their team? Cause I think fear is, is a very, um, it's a very useful tactic that, that, oh, and, and they know, they know that that is, that is a tactic and that's how they make sure to keep things. And I think unquote, fear under control. Fear actually works longer when it's a peer. When it's a boss, it gets old pretty quick. You can only be scared for so long. And if you have options, you will go find options, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think fear, fear, again, what tends to work with bosses is they have the fear and then they have the promise. Right. And they play the two. They say, you know, we're going to get you promoted. We're going to help you get promoted. I'm going to help you get promoted. You need me because I'm the one who's going to tell the boss that you're the perfect person for this next step. Right. Right. And then they bully you. Right. And then they make you fearful of their rages. And so, but it's always these two things together. So it's never fear by itself with the Mm -hmm. boss. It's always fear. It's the carrot and the stick together. And if you believe the carrot, you're going to put up with the stick for longer than, and of course they will never actually help you. Uh, right. They, right. There is never any follow through with a no. narcissist. No. <laughs> they're, they're only the words and the grandiose. Yep. That comes along with yep. it. Yeah. So with the boss, it's the fear, the carrot and stick with a peer. It can be fear just because you don't, you want to avoid the trauma drama yeah. and they will control you by, you know, making it clear what you need to do for them to not blow up 
or to not get upset. And one of the key things is when you're dealing with a narcissist peer, you have to just let them. Yeah. And you really have to do that. If you're, if you're working with a peer, who's a narcissist, you cannot let their um, rages or their aggressive, their aggressive or passive aggressive um, gossip or, or teasing control you. Right. You can't let it work. Right. Right. That's the big thing. Right. You have to just say, fine, get angry. Go ahead. Right. Um, With one uh, that I've worked with as a peer, you know, basically I said, if, if you get angry in a meeting, I'm walking out and the meeting will be over Mm -hmm. because I'm the one who actually does the work. Right. So if I leave the room, then, you know, I knew that it's not like she can keep it running. Right. Right. She doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) Exactly. So if I leave, the meeting is over. Yeah. And I had to do it twice. No, she blew up. I got up. I left. Good. And then one other time she tried, it was right at the end of a meeting and she blew up. I left. And then she hasn't done it since. Right. Well, she realizes you're standing up to her and, and that kind of behavior is not going to work at all. You get nothing done. Nope. Wow. It's, um, it's really amazing how dealing with people like that just affects your, um, not, not just your, your environment, but your productivity. Like nobody wants to work for somebody like that. Nobody wants to work with somebody like that as well. I don't know if I told you, but I had a boss, my very first job out of college. I was uh, a reporter in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was young, like 21, I guess. And uh, every day, I would get yelled at over my stories. And I, I thought they were pretty good stories, but every day it was, it's never good enough. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I took away from that experience. And, and I've did, you know, obviously I mentioned being married to a narcissist, but in the workplace too, like your work and whatever you do is never good enough. No matter you've met the expectations, you've done exactly what you've been told to do. You follow the protocol and the process and the procedure, but it's still not good enough. And that was, but then the what, boss will take that work. Yeah. And, and use it for their own success. Right. Exactly. While making you believe that it wasn't good enough. Exactly. 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 Mm-hmm. And you don't even know, like they take your work and go into the board meeting, yep. and take your name off of the piece of paper yep. of the report and, yep. and, and present it as their own. And as their, their own. own. Yes. And, and that's, that's classic. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as your boss does that, you know, you're working for a narcissist. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that that is that enough. is the the number probably the easiest hallmarks to know that oh my gosh my boss is a narcissist if they take credit for your work. Yeah, talk a little bit more about how these people move up the ladder because we we spoke about it a little bit, but how is it that they they keep moving up? And that's what another thing that really is is puzzling to me is how they keep getting to a higher level and getting in, in charge of people, because these kinds of people should never be in charge of a group of people because they don't, they're not people, people, they don't know how to manage people. They don't know how to interact. They don't even know how to have a normal relationship with the person, right. Whether it's professional or personal. So how is it like, what, what happens in an organization? I know you talked about, it's all about the framing, right? Yeah. And they frame their accomplishments and any faults are never theirs. Mm -hmm. And they frame their accomplishments. They tend to, um, of course, be very chummy and that whole entertaining, charismatic aspect. Right. Very charming. You know, high confidence and um, and it's easy. Mm -hmm. They make it very easy for their bosses to see them as someone to promote again, because we oftentimes in our corporate cultures promote the people that we play golf with and -hmm. promote the people that we go drinking with or go to the strip bar after, you know, work with. Right. Right. And while that happens and it's not a evaluation of someone's actual ability that includes an evaluation of, of the ratings from their employees, they're going to get promoted because they sell themselves. Right. And many times, this is one of the things I tell my, my students is that 
I push them to participate in class and to share their ideas and to take risks of putting their own opinions out there. Because I said, nobody is going to promote you if you sit in the corner and quietly do your work. Mm -hmm. That's not it's promoted. Mm -hmm. What gets promoted are people who can speak up, show the contribution they make and sell themselves to their bosses and let them know, here's the contributions. Here's what I've done for you lately so that their bosses know. And if you don't do that, you are not going to be wrecked, be, you know, plucked from obscurity, you know, like, you know, they're, they're struggling actors who believe they'll be discovered while they're waiting right. tables, you know, <laughs> or making coffee at Starbucks. And, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And narcissists have it down. Yeah. Because um, there's a wonderful book by a colleague at, um, at Stanford, Jeffrey Pfeffer, and he wrote a book called Power. And in his research, he found that power is more important than competence. Mm, mm -hmm. And, and uh, he actually found that CEOs can make the worst mistake a CEO can make. Their company can go bankrupt. And the CEO will only lose their job 50% of the time. Wow. 50% of the time. 50% of the time. Wow. Even though, you know, if the company goes bankrupt, whose fault is that? Right. Right. But that just shows how the the personality and um, aspects of the narcissist are perfectly wired to fit with our current uh, way that we look at success in the workplace. Right. The very surface level, we look at success in the workplace Mm -hmm. in many organizations. Right. In many organizations. Right. And, um, you know, again, one of... um, the Cochrane group in New York, you know, is run by a really dynamic woman. And one of the things she does to spot these types of people is she does regular open-ended surveys with all of her employees. And she just says, how's it going? You know, just lets people, lets people anonymously let her know what, what's their work life like. Yeah. And she says that really helps her spot bullies, narcissists, people with who really shouldn't be managing people. That helps yeah. her spot them early. Does she feel like people are honest? Because I don't yeah. know that people are always honest when they're asked about their work environment. Because again, yeah. the fear plays into it. Well, and what she, and what this is not from her, but um, the thing about if you're going to ask your employees about their work life, then you better be ready to do very publicly make changes. Right. Because if you ask them and they tell you and you don't do anything with it, they will never tell you again. That's right. That's right. There's the trust factor that's been compromised. So if you aren't willing to to really investigate and make changes and and recognize that um, how damaging these people are, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you're just not you might as well not ask. Yeah. In your experience, yeah. what's the worst you've seen by, by just the, um, the uh, residual effect of, of, of a narcissist in the workplace, in your experience? Again, this lady that I only lasted six months with. Yeah. What, what comes to mind is, is the story. I, I got engaged while I was working there and so I went and told her, hey, I'm in, get, I've gotten engaged. Here's when our wedding's going to be. I'm going to take two weeks off. And, and she says to me, so are you going to change your name? And I said, no, I don't think I'll change my name. You know, my, I've got my degrees, my professional degrees in, in this name. I think we're going to keep it. She goes, well, that's good. Then you won't have to change it back. <gasps> wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that is an example of that vulnerable narcissist and, yeah. how, and how the, the zingers, you know? Wow. And uh, so that personally was the worst in your face um, in the workplace that I ever, that I ever received. Wow. Um, In terms of just widespread damage, um, again, you know, this is again in academia, but, you know, I've seen people take classes away from colleagues and, and just do just really hurt others and hurt others careers and hurt mm-hmm. others um, professional uh, standing in their department, all so that they look better. Right. And um, one of my friends who had classes taken away from her at the last minute, 
because this narcissist wanted them, you know, went to her department chair and said, why? Oh, well, I just don't want to make this person angry. Oh, that's what the chair said. That is, oh my gosh. Yeah. That hits right at the core for me because mm-hmm. so many people like, well, we don't want to so do something. We don't want to upset so-and-so. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want, well, you know, she's going to be mad if we do such and such. We don't want to upset her. We don't want to upset him. So just let it be. Don't say anything. Don't worry about it. We don't want to piss her off. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I heard that so many times by you ask that question. Why? Well, why did you do such and such? Well, you know, so she's so-and-so is going to be mad. So let's just leave it. It'll be fine. No, it's not fine. No, (laughs) you need to stop that person and tell them no. Yep. Yeah. That's something else that narcissists don't like to hear is the word no. And I think oh, we, we've talked about it, you know, kind of in a roundabout, but very yeah, specifically, yeah. Do, they do not like to hear the word no. Whether mm-hmm. it's no, I'm not going to do that or no, I think we should do it this way. They feel like it should be their way. Their way is the only way. And if you resist or have a different idea, it, it doesn't it doesn't go over very well. Exactly. Yeah. So if you find yourself in a situation where you've got to stick it out for a while until you can move or make whatever um, changes you can make, the mantra is detach and reframe, Mm -hmm. detach and reframe, set boundaries, preserve your, your, you know, focus on self-preservation. And in, when you're working for the narcissist, the truth of the matter is you will be happier if they are happy. Yeah. So you listen. This is something I've done a lot of is, is, you know, they want to come in, sit down in your office and bitch and moan about their lives. You let them, you know, you let them. Oftentimes that means I got to stay late and finish my work because that person doesn't actually do work. Right. They just want to come and visit. And so um, what I try to do is say, okay, I will give so much time. But then I started also making sure I closed my door and and did things to make sure that I was showing that I wasn't available. Right. But I have to do some of it. Right. I have to do some of it because that will keep the narcissist happy. And mm-hmm. and then my day to day life will be happier. Yeah. So well, how listening, do you do that? Because they complimenting. Many times, yeah. They many times their, their happiness is, is never fulfilled. They're True. never, they're never completely happy with True. whatever it is. So how do you balance that? And it's, again, you can't, you have to really understand that it's not about you. It's about them mm-hmm. and put yourself as much as possible on their side mm-hmm. and validate Because if you can validate and say, wow, yeah, that's really awful. You have every right to be upset. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if, if you can, you know, giving lot, especially the grandiose narcissist giving compliments. Yeah. What, whenever you can find a chance to compliment, compliment them. Mm -hmm. And um, when, with the grand, with the vulnerable narcissist, reinforce their victimhood, tell them they're right. Tell them that they were treated yeah. badly. Tell them yeah. that, oh, everything's awful, right? right? And again, if they're upset at you, all you can do is survive. Right. But right. while they're upset at others, you can, you can give mouth service to it and support it. Right. To the extent your ethics will allow you. Right. Because you know, there's some, one of the, this, this is an interesting story. So, you know, I just don't, again, because I, I have worked in organizations that did not gossip and did not do the toxic teasing. Um, when a narcissist would say to me, talk someone down, I would talk them up. Yeah. Well, that made them angry. Of course. You aren't they supporting me. Right. Yeah. You aren't right. supporting me. Right. Right. But to some extent, you know, so I kind of have, you have to choose today with this situation. Is it so, is it important enough? I need to stand up for that person. Or is this one where I can just say, oh, poor baby. They right. really like, oh, poor baby. Yeah. Yeah. And um, again, when, when you, it's the narcissist will tell you very clearly what it's going to take to keep them happy. Right. And if you can do it 
while you make your plans to go somewhere else. There you go. Sure, sure. Sure. And you know, the thing about saying to them, you're right, it doesn't necessarily believe, it doesn't necessarily mean that you believe that, right. that you believe that they're right, or that you believe that, oh, they have a great suit on today. <laughs> That's not what it means. It, it is a way to just shut them down because and you control know, I, them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And to, and to minimize, that. minimize them. Yeah. Right. When you say you're right and just agree with them, it shuts them down. They don't know what else to say. And you can go on about your business. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you have confirmed whatever it is that they're saying or believe. It's just for you to preserve your own self and your own sanity to yes. be able to, to, to deal with them from yeah. a distance in a way. Yeah. And, it, and the idea is this is survival, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hopefully yeah. short term. Right. And so there's really no harm in staying in their favor, even if it means you're inauthentic. Right. You know, that's pretty much you have to be an actress. Right. Right. You or an actor. You really have to just act as if I would also say that you want to minimize personal sharing. Mm -hmm. They you know, if they say, how was your weekend? Fine. Don't give details. Right. Details about your personal life. Details about your personal feelings as ammunition. That's right. So stop, stop giving it, it to them. You. Exactly. Yeah. Stop yeah. giving it to them. Yep. Yep. Instead, ask about their weekend. Let them talk about their weekend. That's what they want to do anyway. Of course. And the only it's reason they're asking them. you. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> but uh, they do are very good at filing away personal details to use against you later. Oh, totally. Oh, my gosh. Donald Trump was classic in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That they thought were his friends. And then later he threw them under the bus the minute yep. that he felt like they did something against him. Right. Yep. So yep. It's, it's the same thing we're talking about. Exactly. Wow. So somebody going through this experience right now uh, in the workplace, obviously, you recommend get out as as fast as you can basically fake it until you can get out of there. Mm -hmm. What is something they can do to heal from that experience to make sure that they don't go to another or go to an organization with somebody who is somebody like that, who is in charge? How can they protect themselves from that experience again? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think in the normal interview process, it's really hard. Right. So I would say I would focus on the company. Yeah. You know, what does the company do to evaluate people? How does the company focus on um, process? You know, again, if they're a process oriented measurement company, then and if there's a lot of 360 degree evaluations where they're asking employees how they feel about their manager, mm -hmm. that's an environment that's going to be more likely to spot the narcissist. Yeah. So I would focus on what are the kind of evaluation measurement processes in the company that help protect you from a narcissist. Sure. Uh, because spotting one in an interview, it's not, it's going to be very hard. Right. Very right. hard to do. Right. Is there any value in um, seeking out what the human resources department is like while you're interviewing yeah. to figure yes. out how they handle these kinds of situations and whether, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I even think um, now, again, I think it's very, helpful to interview the company when they're interviewing you. Right. And talking about, and it, you know, what I, what you want to be careful about is in an interview, you don't want to say, Hey, I worked for this narcissist once and I don't ever want to work for one again, Yeah, because you, you know, it makes you look like someone who is hard to manage, uh -huh. right? They criticize their boss. So you don't want to go at it that way. But if you say, Hey, you know, I had I, I've had experience working with people who were bullies and that was very difficult. And what is your approach? Mm -hmm. You know, something that's a little more generic. Sure. And a little less labeled, you know, a little less psychologically labeled mm -hmm. um, can be helpful. Uh, and I would also ask that of not the hiring manager. I would ask those kinds of questions either in a meeting with the HR department or in a meeting with um, like a peer, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, what, what happens if, if you've got a bully, you know, around here. Right. Right. And just see, because the peer is way more likely of course, to, to be honest and, and uh, kind of tell you the truth. 
Another great question that tells you so much of an or- about an organization, ask the question, how do you get in trouble around here? Mm. Right? Meaning like, what do you have to do? Yeah. How do you get in trouble around here? Who gets in trouble? That will tell you a lot because yeah. if you hear, oh, if you don't get your sales numbers, that tells you a lot. That tells right. you they're very outcome focused. If you hear, oh, you get in trouble if you don't, um, you know, keep the boss happy, you know, or, you know, there's, there, there can be some good hints and tips in the answer to that question. Right. And, um, and again, they can, they can be, you know, like in any interview, they can show you the, the best and say, oh, well, you know, we look at metrics and you have to make sure you do this and, and are pleasant to work with and your teammates like you, and they can tell you that. And it may be true. It may be not. I mean, it's hard because there's a lot of aspects of culture that you can't figure out until you're in it. Right. Right. So the reputation of the company, you know, doing some research on Glassdoor and looking at why people left, um, and, and just asking a lot of, wow, you know, how do you measure success? Mm-hmm. How do you measure failure? You know, what's a failure look like? Right. And asking those kinds of questions can really help you um, at least surface the likelihood that this is an environment that will be more people focused, or is it going to be more um, outcome focused? Right. Right. Very good. Well, we have been talking with Dr. Christy Losher, who is a senior lecturer in the management department at the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. Today, we've been talking about fear of the narcissist in the workplace. If you work with somebody like that, it's time to get out. Thank you, Christy, for being with us today. This has been so great. And uh, Christy is, is, is uh, turning into a regular guest, which I really appreciate. And thank you so much for all of your insight, Christy. You're welcome, Katenia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening today to Fuck Fear. We will see you or we will connect with you next time. Have a great day, everybody. Coming up on a new episode of Fuck Fear. When we are afraid of something, we avoid always like procrastinate or you delay it, like reschedule or like put it off or whatever because you don't want to deal with it. If that thing you're putting off is the uncomfortable conversation before you say it in a text, Come sit with us on the next episode of Fuck Fear. Life coach Ellen Torson talks to us about why we're afraid to have that conversation, and she gives some tips of how to ease the awkwardness. Be sure to join us on a new episode of the Fuck Fear podcast, where we talk about our fears and learn ways to get through them so that we can live more peacefully and more freely. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. If you feel led, I'd love for you to write a review, check out other episodes, and as always, thank you for listening.